You're listening to Meaningless, a year-long series of sermons from the book of Ecclesiastes from Holy Cross Presbyterian Church in Stanton, Virginia. Ecclesiastes is an honest look at where we as people seek to find our meaning, money, work, pleasure, success, even religion. The book unmasks them as meaningless, not because they aren't good things, but because they weren't intended to be ultimate things. We were made for God. When we return to Him through the reconciling life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all of those things are filled with the meaning only He can give. The rest of you, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 6 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, the text is printed for you in your order of worship. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, we've got about five or six of them on the back table. I'd love to give you one. That's our gift to you. Go grab it. Love for you to take that home with you. Um, But anyway, you can have the text in front of you. I'd invite you to do that now. Here at uh, at Holy Cross, we've been ordering our corporate lives, our life as a community, as a body, around this book of Ecclesiastes because we think it speaks to a reality that all of us live under. Because we as humans have hopes. We have longings. We have assumptions that something is wrong and we need to make it right. And so we take those things and we place them into whatever we think is going to help us. Something that we find in the world, whether that is money or success or image or sex or morality, we do something. We put it somewhere, hoping that it's going to hold, uh, hold the weight of them. But the point of this book and the conviction of Christianity is that none of these things can hold the weight of our hopes. None of them can. That we were made for something more. And so today we approach the topic of privilege. And what I mean by privilege is the notion that some of us have advantages over others. Not because of effort, but simply because of birth or gift. Now this is an issue for multiple reasons which we're going to get to, but mainly... It's an issue because we tend to place our hopes in our privilege. Either having it, having that privilege, or uh, have, uh, that is to say having it but wanting to think there is no such thing in it as it at all, or in not having it and wanting to blame everything in our lives on that. Okay? Ultimately, both do the same thing. We're going to get to that in a second. And our passage this morning tells us that ultimately both are meaningless. So let's stand in honor of God's Word if you can. We're going to read verses uh, 1 to 12 in chapter 6. This is God's word. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. A stranger enjoys them. This is meaningless. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say, the stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in meaninglessness and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. 
This also is meaningless and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? Or who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his meaningless life which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Friends, this is God's word given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come, we ask that you would speak to us. Our hearts are in need of knowing the grace of the gospel that is bound up for us in Jesus, but we are also uh, resistant to it. And so we ask that you would work, that you would pierce our hearts, Lord, that you would bring faith to us today through the work of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come, soften our hearts, open our ears that we might hear of Christ and rejoice. Bring Jesus and his cross forward. Let the one who speaks fall to the wayside. For you alone, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. So it is you we turn now in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. Here's the deal. To talk about privilege in 21st century America, ultimately, is to talk about race. The two are impossible to separate. Now, I know that bothers some of us. I know others of us right now are a little scared at what I'm going to say, and still others are wondering whether or not I'm allowed to say any of these things, right? Especially um, because I'm a middle-class white male. Okay? Let me say this. If we cannot talk about these things in the church, if we cannot have the discussion in a place where we acknowledge our own brokenness and look for grace, then where can we have it? And this is the discussion that needs to be had. Okay? Now, the problem is, is that some of us do not believe there is such a thing as privilege. Right? We're going to get to the reasons for that in a second. But some of us just don't feel like that even exists. Let me just state from the front, that is terribly naive. Um, We will talk about this more in a second, but I want to be clear. If you are Anglo in this room... uh, Pick your descriptor, white, Caucasian, whatever, okay? If you are an Anglo in this room this morning, there are doors that are open to you automatically that are not open to our friends and neighbors of color. Just automatically. There are things that you do not experience, that I do not experience, whether it be stairs or the clutching of a purse or inconveniences that we may think about that are purely because of your skin color. Now, all that said, not all privilege is racial. It may not even necessarily be the most prevalent, but it is the most felt. Uh, Some privilege is socioeconomic. Some is health-related. Some is just purely born out of our family of origin. Okay? Um, The point of all of it, and the good and necessary consequence of this passage, believe it or not, is that ultimately it is not enough It is not enough for us, even if we long for it, okay? Now, we're going to look at this in three ways. I know you're surprised at that. We'll look at this in three ways. There's an outline in your bulletin if that's helpful, okay? We're going to look at the hope of privilege. We're going to look at the point of privilege. And then finally, we're going to look at the price of privilege. The privilege is hope, it's point, and finally, it's price, okay? Let's get started. Let me be up front. I'm sure some of you are probably thinking this, so I'm just going to state it right up front. 
this passage on the face of it is not about race. Okay? Or half the stuff we're going to end up talking about. What it is about is having something that others don't and don't have access to. Okay? It is about having something that others don't and can't get. In our day, we can talk about that in terms of wealth, certainly, but the principle goes beyond that. So, so part of the job of, of interpretation of Scripture and application of Scripture is taking what, was, what, what a text is speaking about and the principles that it's speaking about and bringing it into our context. Okay? And that's what we're trying to do this morning. And so the principle goes beyond just what they're talking about here. And we're going to start at that by looking at the state of blessing. Look down at verses 1 to 3. There are at least in this passage three traditional states of blessing. And when I mean traditional, what I mean by that is in traditional culture, okay, in traditional culture, these things would be seen as, as, um, as a pinnacle, as a great thing. First and foremost, the dude that, that the Ecclesiastes is talking about here, this, this dude has wealth, possessions, and honor. Okay? He's rich, he's got lots of stuff, and he's famous. He's the person you see on the magazine aisle as you're coming up to pay for your groceries. Okay? Secondly, he has tons of children. Now, clearly, that's meant to be as an object lesson, right? I mean, who has a hundred kids? I mean, besides like Vince Vaughn in his latest movie. But that's not, that's not the important thing. Like, no one has a hundred children. It's meant to be as an object lesson. Uh, the point of this is that it's kind of an even-if type of statement. Even if he should be able to have 100 kids. Now, again, for us, we're like, that sounds like a curse. Okay, That's because you're a modern American. Uh, in, in the ancient world, in traditional culture, including the traditional elements of our culture, you are only blessed if you have lots of children. In the more traditional elements of our culture, that is, that is still true. Okay? So there are two states. First, he's got lots of stuff. Second, he's got lots of kids. And the third is that he lives a long time. Okay? Now, some of us are thinking, okay, Rick, what does this have to do with, with uh, privilege, right? I mean, it sounds as if someone worked really hard, especially if he had 100 kids. He worked really hard, okay? But um, here, here's what it is. It comes down to this. It comes down to this in verse 2. Look there. Because this is a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor. Now, I know this is going to strike against so much of our pride, but the Bible makes this point over and over again that life is about gratuity. It's about grace. It's about gift. It's about what He gives. Now, this is offensive to some of us, right? But let's think through this. Some of us get angry at that because it seems to denigrate the work that we do, right? And so you're like, Rick, what are you talking about? I worked hard for what I have. It wasn't given to me. I know. I know it. I, I know that. And I don't want to downplay that. But at the same time, listen, let's get real basic if we can. If you were born in the mountains of Tibet, at the same year that you were born here, okay? But you were born in the mountains of Tibet. I don't care how hard you work. You are not going to have a 3,000 square foot house that makes six figures. And you had no control over where you were born. Okay? You also had no control over your family, their expectations, the events that shaped you either by positive influence or by negative example. Um, And you had no control over your particular natural abilities. Look, I have no doubt that Kevin Durant of the Oklahoma City Thunder works really hard at his basketball game. 
But no matter how hard he worked, he didn't work hard to get to be six foot nine and have the wingspan of a Boeing 747. Like, he did not work hard for that. It was given to him. Okay? It was given. We want to believe that we are total masters of our fate. But none of our decisions, none of them are purely neutral, purely free from influence. That is a myth. That isn't to say that our decisions don't matter. Our decisions do matter. But it is grossly arrogant to say that we built what we have from nothing. Only God makes things out of nothing. Not us. Okay? Look, maybe some of you still don't believe me. Imagine for a second, just for a second, that you were born into a family in which for generations the expectation was that your life expectancy would be about 25. That you couldn't really accomplish anything because you were powerless in society. Society was against you. There was no chance for any kind of mobility. And that the best you could do is get what you could out of life while you had the chance. Imagine that. If that is unimaginable to you, then you can't really, if, if you can't really see how anyone could exist like that, then you assume that everyone was born into the same privilege that you were. Because what I just described, um, what I just described is a common mindset in the urban poor community. Today, in America, that is a common mindset. A mindset that I didn't have to describe for some of you because of what you grew up with or what you now experience. If you don't experience that, it isn't because you are smarter or work harder. It's because of a gift. It's because of a gift. You with me so far? And say you agree with me. Who said are you with me? All right. Now let's get back to this text. The teacher in this, in this book is setting up for us a, an example. He's setting up for us a, a proposition of imagining someone who has all the breaks. He got it all. He's got all the wealth. He's got all the stuff. He's got all the fame. He's got all the kids. He's got health. I mean, from our perspective, you know, all of this is from the, certainly in the, in the text, all of this is from the hand of God. From, from our perspective, we'd say that he's, in, 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 in our society, that he's, He's white, he's rich, he's got stuff, he's got fame, he's got freedom, he's got health, like all the stuff. In other words, all of the doors are open for this guy. There are no limiting factors on him. None. There are no limiting factors. He has everything that we look to in life and say, he's got it all. He's got it all. The problem is, is that it's not enough. Look down at verses 3 to 6. He says this. Yeah, 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 he's got everything, but he isn't satisfied. In other words, God didn't give him the power to enjoy these things. And so he says, a stillborn child is better off than he is. All right, now that's a powerful image. Let me, let me review something for a second. Like I said before, the, one of the biggest signs in ancient Jewish culture of God's blessing is lots of kids. That's why the statement about having 100 kids. This guy's about as blessed as you can imagine. He couldn't ever get any more blessed than this guy because he's got 100 kids. Now, flip that on its head. Flip it on its head. That's what he's imagining. This guy is saying that a stillborn child is in a better position than this dude is. The guy's been given everything. He's got all the breaks. All the doors are open. No limits. A stillborn child is in a better position. Now, that's crazy for us, right? Stick with me. Verse 4 basically gives the reason for this. It says that 
The child is born in meaninglessness and goes into darkness. And then he says that the child finds rest, whereas the blessed man doesn't. Here's the point. This guy is in a state of incredible privilege. He has it all, but he isn't fulfilled, even though he assumes and everyone around him assumes that he should be. We think if we had such privilege that we would be filled, don't we? That we could finally rest. That is our assumption. That would be his assumption. And the teacher is saying, look, that dude who has it all is doubly stuck because not only can he not find rest, but he has everything that he assumes should give him rest. In other words, he's got nowhere to go to find that other thing. You and I would go, okay, well, if I just had this, if I had just been born with this gift, or if I just had that silver spoon, or if I just had, you know, that that thing going for me. He's got all that, and he still can't find rest. There's nothing left for him to hope for. There's nothing left. Privilege is not doing for him what all of us think it should. It would be better if he had just died before ever having the expectation. That is what the teacher is saying. It would have been better for him to have just died before having the expectation. He uses the the most um, uh, radioactive uh, illustration he could to get that point across. Okay, why does this matter? It matters because some of us in this room believe that if we only had that kind of privilege, life would be good for us. But then, since we don't have it, we get angry. Now, I don't care if that privilege is racial, whether it's economic, or whether it's just having some gift that somebody else has that you wish you had. Matter of fact, I say all this, and some of you are thinking like right now, like, Rick, there is no chance. There is no chance. If I had all that, I know I'd be good. Friend, I can only tell you, you're deluding yourself. You're deluding yourself. And that leads us to the point of privilege and feeding on it. Look down at verse 7 to 9. This is simply reiterating what we just said, so follow me. He says, all the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. And then he mentions the wise and the fool and the poor. And so by implication, he's, he's thrown in the rich. He's talking about socioeconomic status. Here's what he's getting at. No matter your position, no matter your level of privilege, a lot or a little, it cannot satisfy you. Wise, fool, poor, rich, we are all in the same boat. We are in different circumstances with the same struggle. So let's bring this together with the last section and then kind of tease out an implication. Okay. You can identify yourself with either your privilege or your lack of privilege, but neither one can hold your hopes. Neither one can satisfy you. Because you see, in one, when you identify yourself with your privilege, even though you don't realize you do it, you take too much credit for how your life has turned out. In a sense, you're denying there was any privilege to begin with. I built this. I did this. In the other, you place how everything in your life has turned out based on your lack of privilege. And both are issues of pride. In the first, you are saying, I did this. And in the second, you're saying, I would never have done this if I had had the same advantage as other people did. In both, our hearts are the same. Do you see that? Whether you are the spoiled little rich kid, or the dude who never cut a break and has been living kicking cans your whole life. Our hearts are the same. They are in the same position. 
The expression of our hearts may be different, but the issue is the same in both. And this begs the question, what is the core struggle that we have with privilege? To that, I would turn to now by looking at knowing our limits. Look down at verses 10 to 12. Verse 10 is the key. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Okay, now stop there. I know some of you are like, that's the key? Lost. Okay, just stay with me, all right? Because I know it sounds really strange, but it does make sense. When the teacher talks about what has already been named, you have to understand that in the, in the thought world of the Old Testament, to name something is to have authority over it. Right? To name something is, is both to have authority over it and a, and a kind of determining authority. So that when God changes Abram's name to Abraham, he says that I'm changing your name because you are going to be the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means in, in Hebrew. Father of the nations. Okay? When Jesus ta- changes Simon's name to Peter, he is determining what will be for him. He is saying that... that um, Your role and your place in the kingdom, Simon, is going to be as a solid point of reference. Why? Because the name Peter in Greek means rock. Okay? Now stay with me. Because I'm going to pull these out and then pull them together. He says that it is known what man is. Okay? The Hebrew word for man is Adam. Or Adam. If you want to be precise about the way you would pronounce it. Right? It's derived from another Hebrew word. The word that means dust. Adamah. Why? Because man came from the dust. He was formed out of the dust. Okay, that's Genesis 2-7. But then he finishes, after he's talking about what man is, okay, he's playing on those words, and then he finishes this thing about disputing with someone stronger than he is. All right, now, let's pull these strings together. What he is getting at is a central feature of the biblical story. He's alluding to it. When we rush over it, we miss it. But it's a central feature in the biblical story. The Bible says that we were created by God to be in relationship with Him. Okay? Some of you have heard me say this a million times. We were created in His image. Okay? The, the, the theological lingo for that is in the imago dei. We were created in His image to reign over creation, to reign over it through our dependence on Him. Okay? Made in His image. Important. But in time, we were tricked into believing a lie that God was holding us back. That we were not what we could be. In fact, we could determine what we are. We were Adam, made from Adamah, man made from the dust. But we could be more. We could determine it. We came to believe that we could be like Him. And like Him meant independent from creation. Determiners of ourselves. I can determine who I am, my reality, what is right and wrong, who I can be. I can determine all that because I can be independent. And all we had to do to grasp that was to turn away from God and betray Him. Literally just eat a fruit that He said not to. And that's what we did. But the problem is is that that is a lie. God is God and we are not. And can never be. He created the world and us We live in the world, not over it. We live in it. He is independent, which means he needs nothing from anyone. We are dependent. What the teacher is trying to get at here is that the privilege he has been talking about does not give us the independence we long for. We cannot strive with one stronger than us. 
We cannot change who we are fundamentally made from the dust through our privilege. We are still human. We think that it can. We think it can show us that we are the ones who determine our own path. That it can hold our hopes. But then we are confronted with the reality that even the the privilege we have has been given to us. We are left in a position where our privilege or our lack thereof really says nothing about us at all. It just is. It just is. It neither shows how great we are or how lowly we are. It just is. And what's worse, no matter which end of that privileged spectrum you are on, we are all in the same boat trying to derive our identity, our worth, and our independence from it. And in so doing, and in doing that, acting out of rebellion against the God who made us, we're all, at the end of the day, in the same boat. And that is where the teacher leaves us. Happy, joyful. Thankfully, that is not where God leaves us. Let's look at gaining true privilege, shall we? Remember, I said a minute ago that we were created. We were created with great privilege in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation is called image of God. Only us. There's nothing else that is said to be in God's image, in relationship with Him in this way. But we rejected that to seek to not be in His image, but His equal. Theologians, uh, like uh, scholars who read the Bible and try, try and systematize things, call that the fall. Okay, The fall. Because we fell from what we were made for into a state less than what we were made for. And the fall affected Everybody. Everybody. That's not like a select few. If you look out over the the population and you can kind of divide up, like, clearly those folks affected by the fall, these folks not so much. Everybody has been impacted. Everybody. Everyone who has ever been born is born in rebellion against God. Everyone. This means that we are also all alike guilty before Him for betraying Him. I don't just mean some of us. We've got we to get this in, especially because we're talking about privilege. This doesn't just mean those that we look and go, oh, aren't they, oh, their lives are a train wreck. Isn't that so, they must be in rebellion. No, everybody, all of us, some of us live out that betrayal in a rebellion that looks really immoral, and some of us live it out in one that looks really moral, but we are all the same. We all want to determine our own existence. We want to define ourselves either by our privilege or our lack of it. And here's the thing, friends. Our culture tells us that is noble. It says that's noble. But the Bible says that is a betrayal of God. The reason that our privilege cannot hold our hopes is that we were made for a reconciled relationship with God. And your privilege cannot ever give that to you. Ever. But God did not reject us because of that. He determined to make things right. And so in Genesis 3.15, right after we broke, uh, right after what we would call the fall, God comes and he mysteriously says that he is going to fix things, but that we're going to fix things. And he chooses that dude named Abraham I talked about earlier, and he says, I'm going to fix things through your family. In other words, he gives Abraham what is quite clearly the the greatest privilege ever. Like, I'm going to do this through you. But the problem is he fails, and his whole family fails. They can't keep it up. 
because they're part of the problem. And so they consistently fail, just like we do, to be the solution. So in the fullness of time, God answered the mystery of being both. Like, he said, I'm going to do it, but you're going to do it. He did that by by literally becoming part of Abraham's family in Jesus. Now listen, a lot of us here probably think Jesus is a pretty good guy. Probably a prophet said some good things. Um, Maybe even someone to call on in times of trouble. But let me challenge that real quick. Jesus made very specific claims about himself. Those claims are such that either he is who he says he is, or he is nuts. He is not somebody you want to have, like, that you're calling on if you don't think he was true in what he said about himself. He is certainly not someone whose teachings you want to follow if the other things he said were not true. They are crazy. The only thing his teachings got him was killed. Okay? He claimed to not be a prophet, but God. Not to be a way to God, but the way to God. The only way. So Jesus came not to show us a path to walk, not to give us a plan towards how to work out of being of less privilege into more, but to accomplish one for us, the only one that will satisfy us. He came and he lived a sinless life that we couldn't, so that we could, and then he he died to bear the weight of our betrayal before God so that we could be reconciled to him. But here's the key. Like everything else in life, this is a gift. It's a gift to be received. Just like what the teacher's talking about there in verse 2. We cannot accomplish it. I don't care what advantages you have. You can't accomplish it. The problem, ultimately, is our relentless striving to be independent from God, and you cannot solve that independently. We have to return to dependence on Him, and that means placing our faith, our hopes, in Jesus instead of in our efforts or our privileges or whatever. And when we do, we are given a status that whatever we count as privilege never could. We are adopted into God's family. We are called children of God. You are united to Jesus such that your sin is paid for in His death and His faithful life, His sinless life is counted as yours. You don't have to accomplish that. You're not just given a clean slate Your slate is full. You come to Jesus, your slate is full. It's just not full of your stuff. It's full of His. And His stuff is awesome. It's great. Before God, it receives smile. And so before God, you receive smile. There is nothing for you to do but receive by faith what your privilege or lack thereof could never get you. But that doesn't answer the problem, does it? It doesn't answer the problem. What do we do with the fact that there still is privilege? Let me try to begin to answer it this way. This does not answer the question. This is a discussion that needs to begin. Hopefully I'm beginning the discussion, okay? Let me try to begin it this way. This text assumes that the only reason for privilege is for yourself. Did you notice that? The guy has all the stuff, but he can't enjoy it himself. The teacher is assuming that that's the whole point for him having all the stuff. Why? Because the teacher is, like we've said consistently, arguing from a completely secular position for the last few chapters. Okay, Completely secular position. Like, no personal God in the world. This guy has all the stuff, but he can't enjoy it for himself. 
The reason that this is the assumption is that this is how we use privilege when we think it can hold our hopes. It's for us. But what if, listen to me, what if we didn't need it for that? What if we didn't need it for that? God does give privilege to some and not to others. Like I said, Kevin Durant's wingspan is clear. Like, he is going to win one-on-one every time, okay? God does give privilege to some and not to others. But at the same time, because we use these things for ourselves, they have been used for the sake of injustice, okay? So let me be clear. Again, the fact that there are doors open to me because I am a white man that are not open to African Americans or Hispanics is a sin against God and against his image. Plain and simple. The fact that an African American brother could stand up here and we could both roll up our sleeves and the fact that he has ink on his arm would, would make you think thug and the fact that I do would make you think edgy and hip is a sin against God and against his image. What it also is, is a sign, friends, that we are using our privilege to support our broken view of ourselves. But if we have received the privilege we were made for in Jesus, then we are free to use this privilege that we have for others because we know it can't give us anything. That, that what the world can give us privilege-wise can't offer us anything. So here's what I mean. Some of us in this room have access to a lot more resources than others. What if we used the fact that we have access to more resources, not to bolster our lifestyle, but instead to develop communities so that others can begin to have access to more resources? Through things like job skills training, funding GED classes, things like that. Maybe that's not us, though. Some, Some of us aren't in that position. What if we used where we are in life? our successes and our mistakes. Not to simply prop up our view of ourselves, but to mentor young men and women in, different, in, a, in a different situation from us. Or maybe in the exact same situation from us. You following me? Like, some of us, some of us have taken, we, we have been given a certain amount of privilege, a certain amount of expectation that we think is just normal that's not normal. And we've done certain things with it. Some of us bad things, some of us good things. What if we were to take what we have learned and instead of just propping up, look how good I am and how bad they are, we actually used that to help other people, to try and develop these communities, to try and work, to to learn from those who are in different positions than we are and and to, to help them grow as well. What if we actually spoke out against and worked to overcome the barriers that really are in place, seen and unseen for those who are not Anglo. Not out of guilt, but out of love. And a true understanding that what we have has been given to us by God, not for ourselves, but for others to flourish. I can tell you a little bit about what would happen. This city would stand up and take notice, but it wouldn't be noticing us. Because this could only happen because someone has given us what our privilege never could. And so all eyes would be focused not on us, not on this community or or whatever, but on the Christ whose work was to make one new, new humanity. One new man, it says. Full of the beautiful diversity of all of them. 
into one community focused on on the, the flourishing of one another all to the glory of God. In other words, all eyes would be focused on the Christ who both created us, saved us, and sanctifies us. Would you pray with me? Lord, over this word, I just ask that you would apply the balm of the gospel. Some of us in this room right now are really tempted to um, feel guilty and to act out of guilt. The gospel would have no place for that. Others of us uh, are, are tempted to disregard what, what we've heard because of our own image of ourself. We need your spirit to work because the gospel would have no place for that. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And we are all in need. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us all in this place to move towards um, Christ and then to move out towards others because of all that he's done for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.